0: Snuff production. Hey, Tom Tilly with you for The Briefing. And in this episode, Antoinette Latouf is bringing us a really interesting conversation about leadership, breaking the stereotypes of what leadership is and who real leaders are.
1: And apparently, Tom, that includes a move away from the suit-clad, assertive male CEO type. So I caught up with a leadership expert who kind of turns a lot of leadership tropes on their head, that good leadership is not about being strong and loud or even in a corporate or political environment, and that instead it's simply a series of moments... And that every moment gives you the opportunity to leave a positive legacy for those around you.
2: So here's the nuance. We are all leading anyway. If you've got kids, you are a leader. So I think we've all got the skills that we could bring if we were you know, willing and wanting to be the best kind of leader we can be.
1: So that's award-winning leadership expert, Kirsten Ferguson, and we'll be chatting about her new book, Head and & Heart. And she says that in recent years, There's been a real demand for a different type of leader, one that is kinder and more compassionate, not necessarily chest-beating. Think Ukraine's Volodymyr Zelensky and New Zealand's Jacinda Ardern.
0: Mm, Okay, all right, looking forward to that. First, here are the big stories of the day. It is Wednesday, the 12th of April.
1: There's been another huge setback for the Liberal leader, Peter Dutton's no campaign on the First Nations voice the Shadow Attorney-General and Minister for Indigenous Australians, Julian Lisa, has resigned from the Shadow Cabinet because he wants the freedom to campaign for a yes vote in the upcoming referendum.
0: My resignation about today as a front bencher is not about personality. It's about trying to keep faith with the very cords of belief and belonging that are part of who I am.
1: So, Tom, now that he's a backbencher, he won't have to follow that party position.
0: Yeah, it was a really principled stand by Julian Lisa. He said he wanted to make his children proud that their father stood up for something he believed in. And yeah, he's been working on the development of a voice for many years. So Peter Dutton's position announced last week was starting to look really awkward for Julian Lisa. It's a massive blow to Peter Dutton's position because it comes after the former Minister for Indigenous Australians, Ken Wyatt, an Indigenous man spectacularly quit the party Mm. over the issue after serving that party for years and years. Um, there's two other backbenchers currently in parliament who've um, put up their hands for a, a yes vote. That's Bridget Archer and Andrew Bragg. So now, they have a big name julian lisa joining them and it'll be interesting to see if other mp's join them as well
1: well done i say to julian lisa and other liberals who can see that the voice should be beyond partisan politics it's about what sort of nation australia wants to be moving forward and ideally that's not a bigoted and out of touch one uh, and julian lisa yes as you rightly point out he's worked really hard to be an ally to indigenous australians but i think it needs to be pointed out that the liberal party had a non-indigenous person as a minister for indigenous affairs and that to me Seems about as representative and productive as when Tony Abbott was Minister for Women. Those sorts of things are probably going to keep them out of step with the nation and probably in opposition for a lot longer. And as we know, like Tasmania is the only remaining blue state and its Premier supports a yes vote.
0: And dark economic times, well, slightly darker than expected. The International Monetary Fund is warning the global economy is being pushed towards recession. It has downgraded this year's GDP forecasts around the world from 2.9 down to 2.8. It's going down because of chronically high inflation, um, rising interest rates and concerns about the banking sector. And they're now saying, and this is their main point, that the chances of a soft landing have receded. So that's a higher chance that this fight against inflation will push us into recession.
1: And Tom, for Australia more specifically, the IMF expects our economy to expand by 1.6% this year and that's now down from its previous forecast of 1.9%.
0: So, our economy is still growing but the growth rate of 1.6% is lower than our population growth rate of 2%. So, that means we are in a per capita recession that the economy is going backwards relative Mm. to our population. And
1: I know that recession word scares a lot of people. Of course, an actual recession, well, the common rule of thumb to measure it is two consecutive quarters of negative GDP, and that's when we are in recession territory. More than 1,000 Australian women have begun a class action against pharmaceutical giant Bayer over a contraceptive device they say left them in extreme pain. It's called Essia and was a permanent contraceptive system which worked by inserting two metal coils into a woman's fallopian tube. I mean, that itself sounds painful. The coils caused scarring which blocked the tubes and prevented an ovum and sperm meeting. And half the women involved in the class action needed hysterectomies to remove the device's the judge only trial is expected to run for 12 weeks.
0: Yeah, this is a really interesting one. So Bayer has faced um, a similar lawsuit in the US. In the US, they settled um, that lawsuit with a $1.6 billion payment. But they said that in the US, the decision to settle reflected factors unique to their legal system, including the high cost of litigation. And they did not include any admission of wrongdoing or liability by Bayer in the US. So here in Australia, they've decided not to settle this lawsuit. They are going to trial.
1: I know that this was a permanent contraceptive method, but there was the option to remove it if you changed your mind and wanted to have children. So it does leave me wondering if any of those women who needed hysterectomies, that's major surgery to remove the uterus or womb, had had their children by now if they'd wanted to.
0: And good news for Australian barley farmers, the trade freeze with China could be over. So China has committed to review the tariffs, which essentially stopped the um, imports of Australian barley. And in return for that, our government has agreed to suspend its appeal to the World Trade Organization over the tariffs.
2: We have made clear that we believe there is no justification for the measures that China introduced in relation to barley. We have also made clear uh, that we believe it is in both countries' interests uh, for these trade impediments to be re- removed.
0: So that's the Foreign Affairs Minister, Penny Wong. Um, it does seem like we're finally resolving this issue with China. Timber and coal trade has restarted, although seafood, wine and cotton are yet to get moving again. Um, we had to take it to the WTO. That was part of uh, our effort to resolve this situation. And they were just about to hand down mm. their finding. And we can restart that action if China don't come good on their side of the deal.
1: Yeah, so China imposed those tariffs of 80% on Australian barley for five years. That was back in 2020. Um, and it has caused huge amounts of damage to trade, worth up to $1.5 billion per year. I find it interesting, Tom, perhaps a Pretty surprising that just a few short weeks after the Orca deal, there was a bit of war of words, politish but still stern from the leaders. Um, but this trade ban has been lifted. And two Aussies, Ethan Ewing and Tyler Wright, have claimed victory at Bell's Beach Rip Curl Pro Surfing event. So that's the first time in over 30 years that we've won the men's and women's event at the same mm. time. For Tyler Wright, it was back-to-back titles after she won last year and for Ethan Ewing, it was particularly special because, get this, his mother won it 40 mm. years ago uh, but then sadly died from breast cancer when he was six. Such
0: a special thing. I've been thinking about it special. since I've been on the tour and, uh, yeah, it's been a huge goal of mine and, um, yeah, just ignore of her. I want to do her proud. Yeah, this is such a beautiful story. He used to go to sleep mm. with her Bells Beach trophy next to his bed and here he is winning it, you know, and this is just such an iconic surfing event and Tyler Wright just continues to dominate as well. Um, It was her brother Owen Wright's last Rip Curl Pro event um, before his retirement, so a special moment for the family and she just keeps kicking ass and amazing to see Ethan Ewing on the rise.
1: Okay, Tom, we will see you later. Now to discuss leadership and are we really all leaders? When you think of a leader, what do you imagine? Probably a male, maybe someone who commands authority and has bucket loads of confidence. In recent years, the shape good leadership takes is beginning to shift or at the very least be questioned. And leadership expert Kirsten Ferguson has written a book about the modern art of leadership, which is essentially a guide that's telling us to throw away many of our long held views on leadership because she argues it's not working. And we need a rethink of what it takes to be a good leader and crucially, who has what it takes to lead. Dr. Kirsten Ferguson is a company director, a leadership expert, a leadership columnist and the author of Head and Heart, The Art of Modern Leadership. Kirsten, thanks so much for joining us. There are tens of thousands of books written about leadership. Why did you write yours? What's different about it?
2: Yeah, I think there's something like 60,000, Antoinette, which is pretty terrifying. Um, There's no endless supply of advice. Yeah, so don't worry, I'm acutely aware of that. And I think what I wanted to do was to not only try and find a unique way of thinking about leadership but find a way that is appropriate for the times we're leading in now and i didn't want to just write a book and make stuff up so it's all based on evidence and research but also a combination you know with my 30 years of leadership experience and so it's a combination of the two And I think what we have saw through the pandemic and what we're seeing now is a demand for a different kind of leader. You know, the kind that we've always thought of for the past couple of centuries as the most senior person in an organisation with a formal title and position and authority, it's just not fit for purpose anymore. And we want to see leaders who understand that leading is actually a privilege, not an entitlement, Mm -hmm. and that understand they don't know everything. You know, this idea of an all-knowing heroic leader has well past uh, meta used by date, and we don't need any more dinosaurs and dickheads roaming the earth. But there, there are plenty of
1: those um, dinosaurs still around, and you know, you've got those traditional alpha-type leaders that are probably a little bit macho, um, giving orders, demanding obedience. Is is there
2: any place left for that anymore, or is that
1: a completely <laughs> outdated mode of leadership?
2: I think it really is an outdated way of leading. The command and control style does have a place in really rare situations. If you're on a battlefield, if you're dealing with an emergency, if there's a natural emergency going on, of course, you're going to have people on the ground who are leading in command and control. We haven't got time to to necessarily sit around and have a discussion about the best way forward. However, in 99% of cases, that's just not the way that we want to see leaders operate in our families, in our communities, and definitely in our workplaces.
1: What I find interesting about your book is um, your suggestion that that everybody has a capacity to be a leader. So it can be somebody in a school environment, in a work environment, at home, even in the community. But is that not like saying, well, everyone is a winner and everyone gets a ribbon, (laughs) even if they come last? Do we really all have the capacity to be leaders?
2: So here's the nuance. We are all leading anyway. If you've got kids, you are a leader. So I think we've all got the skills that we could bring if we were, you know, willing and wanting to be the best kind of leader we can be. But half of what I wanted to sort of um, argue in that point you've raised about us all being leaders is recognising that we are role models because many people don't even realise that the role they have influences those around them. And so... While we're not all formal leaders, and again, this is that trap we've all fallen into, into thinking that being a leader is all about the fancy title or the corner office or the great title on a business card, uh, we're leading just in the way we interact with
1: people. So let's break down this head and heart combo that you advocate for. Um, We'll start with the head. What does leading with your head include?
2: This is everything that we're generally pretty comfortable with. We've been uh, taught it at school. We get rewarded in our jobs and um, at university. And there's four attributes. The first is curiosity, and that means having a genuine thirst for knowledge, and not just in some things but pretty much in anything the second is wisdom and that's all about being able to sort of gather data and evidence to make the best decisions that you can the third is perspective and in my research that had a real special quality Um, in layman's terms it's being able to read a room and really understand the context that you're leading in but importantly noticing who's missing from the room as well and being able to see what's going on outside the room too and then the last is capability and that's not just having the ability to do our jobs but actually believing that you can do your job as well. And so many of us struggle with imposter syndrome and things like that. This is really believing that you're capable. And so those four attributes of leading with a head are generally where people are most comfortable. Okay,
1: and that brings us to leading with the heart. That's defined as things like humility and, and empathy. Why traditionally have leadership styles not been heart focused?
2: Well, again, it goes back to what's been ingrained in us for centuries. There was a theory called the great man theory. And, you know, it was this idea that men, and it was basically only white men and privileged white men at that, could have all the traits needed of being a leader. And none of those traits involve things like empathy or uh, self-awareness or humility, quite the opposite. And so those traits have always been seen as soft skills. We still hear that term. And I mean, it's absolute rubbish because leading with humility uh, and empathy takes a huge amount of strength and courage. And leaders like Jacinda Ardern and also Volodymyr Zelensky you know, have shown how you can lead with the head and the heart and be really strong strong. strong and capable, influential leaders at the same time. So it is equally important, but it's also, you know, necessary to mention you can't just lead with your heart either. We all know really well-meaning leaders that are all heart. Unless you've also got that capability and technical skills, you'll also come unstuck. So obviously, it's
1: difficult to master all of those sort of eight qualities that fall under head and heart. So you've worked with uh, the Queensland University of Technology's Business School to develop a kind of an evidence-based scale where people can measure where they're currently at to identify what they need to work on. How has that landed and how many people have taken that on board?
2: Yeah, it's called the Head and Heart Leader Scale. I'm not, I couldn't think of anything more creative to call it. And, yeah, you can just go to headheartleader.com. It's totally free. You'll get a personalised report. But more than 9,000 uh, people have done that just in the last few weeks, and it's fantastic because it's people from all over and all different contexts wanting to understand about their own leadership. And I know you mentioned earlier it's hard to master those eight attributes. I think what everyone will find is we've actually got those skills, things like empathy, where, you know, we might know people at work who we wonder if they've got the empathy a um, skill at all, but at home, they've probably got it in bucket loads with their children or with their family. And so what the idea of the scale is, is to encourage everyone to bring all those attributes to all contexts in which they lead. But I'd encourage everyone to have a go and see how they find it.
1: So I actually took five minutes and did um, the Head and Heart Leadership Scale myself. Um, I don't know, I get a little bit surprised by the findings because when it came to things like curiosity and courage, like where I sat relative to the average, I was kind of off the charts um, and then maybe saddened me a little bit that I had quite a bit of work to do when it comes to, to empathy. You know, is something like empathy easy to learn?
2: Well, let me reassure you. Does it, firstly, does it mean I'm, I'm
1: cold hearted?
2: Not at all. And firstly, let me reassure you, I'm not at all surprised our curiosity was off the scale, given your profession as a journo and writer. And, you know, of course, you're very curious. Em- It's a really interesting one. And too much empathy is not a good thing. So if you are off the scales with empathy, we'd probably be having a conversation about how that's not necessarily a helpful thing because you want healthy levels of cognitive empathy where you can put yourself in the shoes of someone else but not take on those feelings yourself. And if we have too much empathy, we can actually end up making decisions that aren't in the benefit of the broader community. But in fact, we get swayed with confirmation bias of just that information that's right in front of our face. When I looked at empathy, though, I deliberately gave it a definition that included diversity and inclusion, because unless you are a leader that can lead with empathy, and I know you, Antoinette, I know that you have this attribute, <laughs> it's impossible to be a leader that believes in diversity and inclusion and actually seeks out diverse voices, because that means you're someone who's unaware there's a lived experience different to your own. And again, we know people mm-hmm. like that. they the people who really struggle with empathy. I think having a healthy level of empathy is exactly what we all need and uh, being off the charts is not a good thing. So which Australian leaders, I know you mentioned Jacinda
1: Ardern um, and the Ukrainian president, but which Australian leaders give you the most hope? Like who are our modern leaders leading with their head and heart? Maybe if you don't find them in politics, you you can identify some elsewhere.
2: Yeah, (laughs) Um, I think It's been really interesting to watch the change in leadership at a federal level and, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. this is purely from a... An objective, like a leadership experiment, which I found fascinating during the pandemic. Uh, We saw leadership that wasn't particularly leading with the head and the heart and in recent years, yet I think that the new government, we actually are seeing a really good balance of making tough, courageous decisions that aren't necessarily popular, but yet you can see that those uh, ministers or the government, you know, really believes it's the right thing to do. And I think that. a lot of leading with your head and your heart there's an awful um need for courage and i think what all australians want to see is courageous leadership and it doesn't mean that we're all going to agree with every decision that's made Mm. but having leaders who believe in what they're advocating and have the empathy and ability to put themselves in the shoes of those they're impacting is going to take us a long way to feeling that our political leaders are capable and i think we are seeing a lot more of that at the moment
1: That was Kirsten Ferguson, leadership expert and the author of Head and Heart, The Modern Art of Leadership. Look, I have to say, when I did that leadership scale, um, I was surprised. I learned things about myself, some that allowed me to give myself a bit of a pat on the back, but others that were a little bit confronting. I did find it interesting that Kirsten suggests that we all lead or we all have the capacity to lead. and. I think if more people believed that, that they had the capacity to lead and perhaps did away with those stereotypes of what it takes to be a good leader, that we would see different sorts of people, the diversity that we desperately need in things like politics. Because it is when we have that mixture of leaders who think differently, some led more by heart, some led more by head, that we're ultimately going to get some of the
2: best outcomes. Listener.